0: All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, and if you don't, there should be one somewhere near, somewhere nearby. We're going to be back in the blessed book of John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 21. If you would allow me to uh, pray for our time in the Word, if you would join me, even better. Father, we love you, and uh, gosh, I'm just so grateful for my brothers and sisters in this room right now. I'm grateful for the love that is here; it's very evident. I'm grateful for the people that that want to be a part of this fellowship and who want to serve you uh, within this fellowship. And I thank you for uh, the giftings, God, that you have provided to your church for the edification of the body, for the building up of the body. I thank you that we've been able to exalt Christ through song, through congregational singing already, and uh, to know that we can be blessed, Lord, by the gifts of your people. We can be built up even as we are seeking to lift your name on high and give you the glory, Lord. And so thank you for this day and all that it represents as we remember our Savior and his life and his death and his resurrection and as we gather as the family of God to be strengthened and encouraged and challenged. And I pray as we walk through this text of Scripture that you would illuminate your word to us and that we would gaze deeply into it, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. And I pray, God, that you would be glorified and worshiped even now as we get into your word. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. So today we continue our journey through uh, the Gospel of John and especially through chapter 6. As I said, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. Last week we studied the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. And the way I kind of approached that text was uh, concerning. Testing, our faith, our faith gets tested. And I said that tested faith is a growing faith. Can you repeat that with me? Tested faith is a growing faith. And Jesus is very concerned that our faith grow. Faith is so important to God. In fact, it says in Hebrews that without faith, it's not even possible to please God. I mean, think about that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you're never going to have all your questions answered in this life. At some point, you must simply choose to believe. you know. And and when it comes to Christianity, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. But once we enter into the faith, the family of God, by believing in Jesus Christ by faith, Jesus wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us to deeper places of trust and faith. And so he does that. One of the ways in which he does it is through testing. It's not pleasant. But it is effective, very effective. Now, last week, we talked about how Jesus tested Philip. And really, the, the test or the question was can Jesus make a way when there isn't a way? Can Jesus make a way where there appears not to be any possible way in, in any given circumstance? I love the verse in Isaiah 43, verse 18. It says. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I love that verse. Our God makes a river in the desert. He makes a straight path for us to walk on. Amen? Amen. He guides our path. He leads us into paths of righteousness. He makes a way when there does not appear to be one. And I've seen him do that in my life time and again. And I love it when that happens. Only our God can do that. Well, the next thing we saw, Jesus tested Andrew. And uh, I would say the test was can Jesus accomplish a little with, or can Jesus, excuse me, accomplish a lot with a little? Remember, he said, well, we got here these, we got these crackers and sardines, essentially. Well, what's that among so many people, right? And so Jesus was able to take that little bit and do exceedingly abundantly more than they could have ever imagined. And isn't that what Philippians 3.20 says? It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. If it's on me and my power, man, I'm in big trouble. But Jesus can take my little bit of resources, my little bit of time, my little bit of energy, my little bit of, of, uh, of gifts that, you know, that He's given me, and He can multiply that. He can do exceedingly, abundantly more than I could ever ask or think according to His power. Amen? Because that's what it boils down to, right? It's His power. It's all Him. And so that's what we considered last week. Then we discussed really the difference between tempting and testing, because there is a difference. We discussed how God does not tempt us. He does not. We saw that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He was trying to disqualify Jesus from the mission that he came to fulfill. And we know that Satan tries to tempt us. To fail, to disqualify us, to fall away, to render us ineffective, to destroy our testimony, to bring reproach on the name of Christ. But God does not do that. James says that God cannot be tempted by evil and he does not tempt us to evil. He does not tempt us. But we are tempted, we're drawn away by our own desires, our own sinful lust. And most certainly Satan does appeal to that. Satan appeals to those things. God, however, he tests us. He will try us. He will turn up the heat. He'll shake things up. And what comes out of us lets us know what was really in there. Right? Jesus said what comes out of the mouth, that just shows you what was in the heart. What's in the heart, it comes out. And God reveals that to us through difficulty, through testing. He reveals where we're at, but he also uses those things to refine us. As he takes us through more difficult more difficult challenges, testings, we grow, and things that used to be a challenge for us aren't necessarily that anymore because we've been tested in much greater ways. Does that make sense? And so there's always this progressive testing. You know, I was talking about Jesus and the, the temptation in, uh, in the wilderness with, with Satan. I went through a temptation like that this week. I would say it is on the same exact level as Jesus and Satan in the, in the wilderness is called the DMV. <laughs> it is the layer of demons, and I was called into it. And so I had to go in there, and I had uh, just something I'm trying to figure out with a car, and uh, it's just complicated, and I was like, I know that I'm not going to be able to get this taken care of. Uh, this would be my second time going in, and I just knew this wasn't going to do it. And I go up to the counter, and... Uh, the guy just instantly starts rolling his eyes and smacking his lips and huffing and puffing and sitting back in his chair and rubbing his face. And I'm like, is this really happening right now? I'm like, I'm the one tied up in a thousand knots here. What are you tripping about? And anyways, it just was so much more complicated. I still don't even understand what it is I'm supposed to do. And I was hot. I mean, I, I, was, I was tense. And I had a decision to make. Either I could pick something up and throw it through the window in there, or I could just calm myself and walk out of the building. And I, it dawned on me, be, I'm being tested. I just preached on this last Sunday. That's how this goes. And so I, I took a deep breath. I went outside, and I, uh, I just thought, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to call the clerk in uh, Tennessee. And so I Google the number, and I, I call it. And I'm telling them what's going on, and I'm, like, I'm sure they could tell I was a little perplexed. And all of a sudden, they said, "Rob." I said, yeah. They said, this is Jesus. I'm just kidding. But (laughs) they did say Rob, and I'm like, yeah. I knew the person, and oh, man, it was this lady in Tennessee, just like a spiritual mom to me and Jess, and she was like, oh, I'll take care of that for you. I know who to talk to, and I'll go down there, and I'll, I'll get that stuff sent to you, and I was like, praise you, Jesus. That's the Lord right there. So that's God's providence. When I talk about his providential care, you know, I mean, what were the odds of that? You know, I called this number, I called the wrong number, I googled the wrong number, and then they, the lady knew me, and she's like, I'll take care of that for you, and so, and you know, praise the Lord, I got tested, I did not get escorted out of there by the police that day, and uh, God blessed it, you know, providentially, sovereignly, and so, you know, the Lord tests us, He does, and I am pretty sure that that testing is far from over, I don't have my hopes up, but um, we'll see. So anyway, anyway, today, we're going to see the testing continue. The testing is going to continue as the disciples sail across a stormy sea. As the disciples sail across a stormy sea. And I would say the question here is, can Jesus be trusted in the scariest and most uncertain and most frustrating of circumstances? When it seems like everything is falling apart when the waves of life are crashing in on us, is Jesus still worthy of our trust? Is He faithful? Can He be trusted? Can He be counted on? Is He good? And so I've titled this, Trusting in the Testing. And it is, while we are being tested, we must maintain trust. We must not let our trust be shaken to the point where we doubt. Where we doubt God's goodness, Jesus' faithfulness, and His abilities to see us through. Amen? Amen. And so uh, what we study today is also covered in the book of Matthew and Mark, but the account that we're actually looking at in John is is quite abbreviated. It almost serves as a transitional point from the feeding of the 5,000 to the uh, bread of life discourse that Jesus is about to launch off into in John. So what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew and Mark and John so that we can get the full picture here, because there's a lot going on that John doesn't even tell us about. And so I'll kind of reference those things where it's appropriate, but we're, we're going to consider what, what happened here in its entirety as we consider these different texts together. And so we pick up today where we left off last week, and Jesus had just fed the multitude. Remember that? He fed the multitude and now we're going to see their response. We're going to see how this crowd of seekers responded. Remember, they were, they, they were there because Jesus had been doing all these signs, all these miracles. And so they were following Jesus from place to place because they wanted to see more signs. So this was, a, a, this was an outstanding sign. And uh, we're going to see now how they respond to this. So kind of point number one in our text Jesus evades a frenzied mob of political opportunists. Sorry, that's, I know that's kind of long, but uh, that's what happens here. Jesus gets out of there. Verse 14, it says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, that's the feeding of the 5,000, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to take him by force and make him king... He departed again uh, to the mountain by himself alone. And so after Jesus fed the multitude, the people were convinced. They said, this guy is clearly the prophet. Now, what, what in the world is that? What, what do they mean when they say, this is the prophet? Well, this goes back to Moses in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. Moses spoke of a prophet who God would raise up in his likeness. A prophet that would be much like himself. So they understood this to be the Messiah, and this in some ways informed what they should expect of the Messiah. And so seeing Jesus operate like this, maybe this is not too far off, because Moses was a great deliverer. Moses delivered the people from the powers uh, of the Egyptians, right? And so they thought, well, if Moses delivered the people from Egypt, this Messiah is going to deliver us from Rome. And he's going to be our king, and he's going to lead us to victory. And not only that, Moses did provide by God's power for them in the wilderness. He provided water from a rock. He provided manna in the wilderness, right? And so here Jesus has provided miraculously, you know, multiplying the bread and the fish. And so it's not a far stretch for them to say, hey, this is the guy, this is the prophet, this is the one that Moses was talking about. And uh, Guzik says if the coming prophet was to be like Moses, it made sense that he would also feed the people miraculously as Moses did. So that's, that's understandable. Now, as a result of the people's perception here, they rallied to make Jesus the king. They're going to install Jesus, the king of glory. They're going to take him and make him a king over their little measly you know, setup down there. They're like, this is the guy. He's going he's to overthrow Rome for us. And so, though the people weren't too far off on their understanding of the Old Testament, they still misunderstood Jesus' mission. This was not why Jesus came, right? That's not why Jesus came. So Jesus was not going to allow them to try to put him in this position. So Jesus departed from the midst of the people by himself. Jesus got out of there. And so, um, you know, some commentators said "This this is, you know could just as easily be another temptation from Satan. Remember, it said that he left him until an opportune time. And now these people are wanting to raise him up and make him king, which is really the same thing that Satan was trying to offer him. Uh, But Jesus rejected that outright. He did not allow it. And so he's going to take off. And so number two in our text here, we see as Jesus departs, uh, by himself to a place alone. He's gonna send his disciples into a storm. Now mark that down. Jesus sends his disciples into a storm. Jesus is sovereign in testing. Jesus is in control of it. Sometimes we 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 think, you know, God's up there scrambling trying to figure out what to do now because he didn't see this one coming. Right? We didn't see it coming. He must not have seen it coming. What are we gonna do, God? But Jesus sent them right into this storm. Verse 16, it says Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So Jesus sent him away. He went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. The disciples get into a boat, they make their way across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus still isn't there, and then all of a sudden a great wind arises, the sea begins to rise. So what's, what's going on here? Well, after the subsequent reaction of the crowd, Jesus sends them on, and this storm break, popping up like this, this was not an uncommon thing. The way that, the, really the background, the geography of this lake, it's prime for this kind of thing. So this lake is the lowest freshwater lake on earth crazy, huh? It's 682 feet below sea level. It's 150 feet deep, and it's about 13 by 8 miles uh, long and wide, and it's surrounded by mountains, and the mountains are uh, differing in height around it, but wind would blow over these mountains down into this lake, and it was like a bowl, essentially, and when that would happen, with the various temperatures and the wind, it would, uh, it would churn up violent storms in, in a moment, And so this was pretty common, and that's what appears to take place right here. And we've seen this before already. They've already been in this situation once before. They were with Jesus, and he was sleeping in the boat. Remember that? And uh, all of a sudden, this storm hits, and I'll just read it for us. In Mark chapter 4, it says, On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let's cross over to the other side. So here we are in Mark. They're going to cross over to the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves began to beat the boat so that it was filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, and he rebuked the wind. And said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? There it is. How is it that you have no faith? The disciples were in a life or death situation on this raging storm in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is there asleep. Now, Jesus had said, We're going to cross over. If you look in the text there, that's what he says. But they're thinking, we're going under. We're not crossing over. We're going under. And they accuse Jesus of having no concern for their situation, really challenging His goodness, ultimately. And they're questioning His faithfulness. Jesus has no concern. And so Jesus arose. He calmed the storm. And then He rebuked them for their fear and their lack of faith. And we struggle with this from time to time, don't we? Jesus doesn't care. He must not be concerned with the pain that I'm feeling, with the situation that I'm going through, whatever the case may be. Well, Jesus proved them wrong. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But Jesus proved them wrong. He got up. He rebuked the storm, calmed the sea. And then he challenged their faith. How is it that you doubted? How is it that you were so fearful? Now, a precedent here has been set. A precedent of Jesus' faithfulness has been set. He demonstrated that he was to be trusted, that he did indeed care, that he was going to make good on his promise that they would go to the other side. Amen? And see, this is important for the Christians. So if I have lost you, pay attention now. As you know, Charles Stanley says, look up here. Listen. Look up here. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. I love, I love how he does that. Watch this now. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, after God delivered a crushing blow to Israel's enemies under the leadership of Samuel, he raises up a rock. It's a rock of remembrance. It's a memorial. Do you remember what he called that rock? If you know this, you're good. Starts with an E. How about that? Huh? What's that? Ebenezer. Ebenezer. That's right. And we have a song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, right? Come Thou Fount, is that the that's, the, that's the name? Okay. And, and what it means is uh, a rock, a stone of help. And he says, till now the Lord has helped us. Till now the Lord has helped us. And it was a rock of remembrance, it was a memorial for the faithfulness of God. See, we need those in our lives. Has God not been faithful to us to this very hour? We know that he has been. How many times has he already proven himself faithful to us time and again? And we're so quick to forget. And so we need those memorials. We need to be able to look back and say, in my deepest, darkest, most painful times, God was for me. God loved me. Nobody could snatch me out of his loving hands. Not even my own fear, not even my own failures, not even my own sin could separate me from the love of this faithful God. Who cares for me? He does care, right? Does Jesus care? He cares. We're told that we can cast our cares upon Him. Amen? Because He cares for us. And so He does care. And a precedent of faithfulness has now been set for the disciples back in Mark, earlier in Mark. Now this is next level testing though back in John. See, Jesus was in the boat the first time, though he was sleeping. Now, he's not in the boat. He's not in the boat in the Gospel of John. See that? And so, one commentator says, in the first storm, Jesus was present with them in the boat, and he rebuked and calmed the storm. In this storm, Jesus asked his disciples to trust his unseen care and concern for them. To trust his unseen care and concern. So, this is They're uh, leveling up. Tested faith, it's growing faith. And now this is a different test. Can Jesus be trusted when it seems like all hope is lost? In the scariest of times, in the most uncertain and frustrating of times, can Jesus still be trusted? Yes, He can. Because He's good, He's faithful, He's the Son of God, and He loves us so. And so we see this now as we get into point number three, we're going to see that Jesus shows up in the storm. Jesus shows up in the storm. He is with us in the storm. Amen? Even when we can't see it, even when we may not realize it, He is there with us in the storm. Hold on, there's something that I might not have put in my notes, and I do not want to forget it. I just remembered it. Sometimes that happens to me, you know. It's so good, and then I'll remember after the fact, I forgot to say that. Anyways, okay, so, verse 19, it says, So when they had rode about three or four miles, They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nearer to the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So they had rowed about three or four miles. Some commentators say that they may have been rowing for six to eight hours at this point. And we know that they were rowing against the wind. And so this was extremely difficult, extremely frustrating, to be sure. We're told that in, in Mark that there, this is the fourth watch of the night, which means by this point it's about 3 to 6 a.m. So all night long. They're, they're getting into the morning hours at this point. Mark also tells us that Jesus is watching them. Jesus was up on this mountain praying And he saw them out there struggling against the wind. Struggling against the wind. Now that's fascinating to me. And I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is very much aware of what's going on here. I believe he sent them into this test. He's got his eye on them. His eye is never not on those whom he loves. Amen. And uh, he's praying. He's praying. So I think, you know, if Jesus can calm storms, I think it's reasonable to think that Jesus can provoke storms. Jesus, Jesus can stir up the water, you know? And I think it's, it's altogether possible that, you know, Jesus did this. You know, He sent them out, and then He sent this storm into their lives. It was a, a sovereign storm, a, a sovereign testing for their good, for their good, to demonstrate His faithfulness and His love for them on a greater and more intense level. You know, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He's intimately aware. Okay? He knows the struggles. He knows what's going on. He's sovereignly involved in it. He's intimately aware. These things are not lost on Him. Okay? If Jesus, if you're going through something right now, it's not lost on Jesus. He is God's one and only beloved Son. He is God in the flesh. He is God with us. He knows all things. He's not surprised by all things. He doesn't learn anything new. He has all knowledge. And He's intimately acquainted with and aware of the struggles that are in your life right now. And He is able to assist you. He is able to comfort you. He is able to strengthen you. He is able to pour out love and grace and mercy and help upon you far above, beyond anything you could ask or think. Amen? It's not lost on Jesus. Jesus is aware. Jesus is intimately involved. You know, Jesus really took his time before he came to them. Jesus really took his time before he came to them in the boat. And so Jesus allowed them to struggle for a little bit. Sometimes our trials go on a little longer than we want them to, don't they? Sometimes our struggles, our testings, they go on, and we want to get out from underneath it, do we not? But Jesus allowed this to go on all night long. All night long before, he could have instantly ended this thing, but he didn't. He allowed them to go through that. So when we're being tested, let's not doubt God's faithfulness, and let's not try to get out from underneath the test as fast as we can. Let's let God have his perfect work in us through the test. Amen? And let us remember that he is faithful, he does care, He does love us, and He is to be trusted in the scariest and most frustrating and most uncertain times of our lives. He's still faithful. He's still good. Now, Jesus was praying for them. Praying for what, I wonder? You know, Jesus was up on the mountain. It says He was praying. What do you think? You think He was praying for them? Now, it doesn't say, but I can only imagine because even now we're told that Jesus is our heavenly intercessor who is praying for us, interceding for us, by the right hand of the Father. And so I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus was praying for them then. I wonder what kind of prayer he might have been praying. Well, I think of uh, Luke chapter 22. Jesus told Peter, He said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And then Jesus says, But I have prayed for you. I have prayed that your faith should not fail. Jesus is concerned with our faith. And in this testing, I've said this before, my my response would have been, well, you told him no, Jesus, right? But he didn't. He said, I prayed that your faith would not fail. He says, and when you return to me, that you would strengthen your brethren. It seemed like there was a lapse in faith, didn't it, in faith with Peter? He had a moment of failure. It It certainly would appear, right? He denied the Lord, but he came back. The Lord drew him back. The Lord restored him, cleansed him, put him back into the game to serve him in radical ways. His faith had not failed. That strengthened him. That that failure refined him. That's The beautiful thing about our testings, guys, is that God can even take our failures and work that out for good in our lives. God even takes, when we fail the test... He, he even uses that to strengthen us. He wastes nothing. All things work together for good. Do you believe that? All things work together for good. He's able to work all things together for good for us to strengthen our faith and our trust and our love for him. And so no doubt Jesus was praying for them. No doubt Jesus was praying for them. And eventually, Jesus would come to them by walking on the water. This is the fifth major sign in the Gospel of John. There's seven or eight signs that are mentioned here for us. This was the fifth one. And Mark indicated, indicates for us that Jesus actually intended to just pass them by. I thought that's so strange. It's an interesting little detail that Mark puts in there. Jesus was just going to pass by. I mean, imagine that. You're out here rowing all night long in the storm, and then... Jesus just comes walking on the water, and he just, oh, what's up, guys? How you doing over there? I don't know if he intended to be seen by them or maybe not. I mean, I don't know. We can only speculate here. Maybe Jesus was try- trying to say, hey, look, I'm here. You know, I'm nearby, right? I'm nearby. I was thinking about this story I heard a pastor tell years ago, and he was saying that he was in the, in the, uh, he was in the airport with a small child, And um, something happened, and all of a sudden the security guys, as he's going going through the metal detector, started to hem him up. And they separated him from his kid. And now he's really panicking, and he's starting to get, like, loud, and he's shouting, and he's getting abrupt with the security people because he's panicking because they separated him from his kid, and he didn't even know why. And so everything kind of calmed down, and they let him go, and they brought him back to his kid. And he was all relieved, and he expected his kid to just be tore up and scared, and he wasn't kid was just kind of like, whatever, and it kind of made the dad feel upset, kind of hurt his feelings a little bit. He said, you weren't scared? You weren't, you weren't afraid that they were taking me away? And he said, no, because I could still hear your voice. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? And so, you know, God's promises are true. And even in the most severe struggles in our lives, we have his promises. We have his truth we can remember His Word. We can hear His voice as we meditate upon the promises of Scripture and the Word that are very real, very powerful, very relevant, very true. Amen? Amen. And so I think in some way maybe Jesus was just trying to say, I'm here. I'm here. You trust me. And so even when we're in our deepest, darkest times, Jesus is here. His Word is true. His Word still stands. He's faithful. He's good. He loves us. Amen. He's for us. Nothing can separate us from Him. He has all power, all knowledge, all resources available. Amen? Amen. Alright. Well, Mark and Matthew and Mark tell us that when they saw Jesus coming up to the boat, they thought He was a ghost. That was what they surmised. It's a ghost. I mean, I I don't know. It doesn't seem that crazy to me when you consider that um, Jesus is walking on the water in the middle of the night in a storm. You might, maybe it did look like a ghost or something. Who knows? But Jesus calls out to them and says, Do not be afraid, for it is I. Do not be afraid, for it is I. Jesus was going to be with them. Jesus was with them. That's a promise that is echoed throughout the Scriptures. God is with us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. Deuteronomy 31.8, And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Amen? The Lord is with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go he will not leave us or forsake us he is with us wherever we go we need not be afraid hebrews 13 5 it says for he himself has said i will never leave you nor forsake you that's the promise his promises are good amen his promises are true All his promises are yes and amen. Take it to the bank. Jesus don't cash no wolf tickets. You probably don't even know what that is. Anyways, that's okay. If you got it, you got it. Well, what John doesn't tell us, what John doesn't tell us that is uh, actually recorded for us in Matthew is that Peter walks out on the water. That's kind of an interesting detail to, to leave out, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And so let me read that for you. Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 27, it says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So there it is again. Jesus is concerned with our faith. Jesus wants to uh, stretch and test our faith. He expects us to have faith. He expects us to have faith in these kinds of situations. Why would we doubt? Why should we doubt? Now this is an extraordinary act of faith, would you agree? This is an extraordinary act of faith on Peter's part. Yet Jesus seems to rebuke him for his doubt and lack of faith. Peter let the severity of the storm override his trust in Jesus' ability to sustain him. And I'm sure we can already connect the dots here in our own lives. We allow the severity of life's storms and trials and testings to bring us to a place of doubting Jesus' ability to sustain us, to care for us, to sanctify us, to lead us, to provide. You know, maybe you have been or are in a situation where you are led to believe that Jesus isn't even real. Jesus isn't even real. If you're going through a situation like this, let me tell you, He is. And you know He is. It is unmistakably real and true that He has saved you, that He has changed you, and He's been there for you time and again, and He will continue to be. He is absolutely real. We know this. Maybe you think He doesn't care. But you know He does. We know that He cares. He's demonstrated His care for us at the cross. That is the ultimate example of love and care and concern. That Jesus would die such a horrific death. That He would take the wrath of God there on the cross in our place for our own good. Is He concerned with our well-being? Is He concerned? Does He care? Absolutely. He has paid the highest price. He has demonstrated care in ways that this world can never begin to understand or imagine. He absolutely cares. Maybe you think He doesn't love you. Maybe, I, maybe we find ourselves in a place where things get so hard, so deep, so bad, so dark, they'll say, He doesn't even love me. But you know better. You know He loves you. As I've said already, He's demonstrated His great love at the cross. Even when we were sinners, God gave His Son to die for us. Because of his great love. Because God loves the world. Because God loves sinners. Because God loves us. Amen. His love is real. Maybe we think he's not listening. Maybe he's he's listening to other people with bigger problems than my own. False. He's listening right now. He's concerned. He cares. He's intimately acquainted with, evolved in, and aware of Everything that you're going through in life right now, He knows. The Bible says that He knows every hair on our head. That's more impressive for some of us in this room than others, (laughs) but uh, He knows. Maybe you think, He can't help me. He can't help me, but you know better than that. Is there anything that's too big for our God? Is there anything too hard for Him? Is there anything that He doesn't have the resources to meet, to care for, to provide for, to guide us through? Absolutely, He can help. If anybody can help, He can help. When nobody else in this world can help, He can help. Maybe you think, well, I'm just too much of a sinner. I've sinned too greatly. False. You can never out the grace of Jesus. Your sin will never be greater than His cross. Our sin, our heinousness, our unbelief, our failings will never be more powerful than His grace, His love, and His cross, and His resurrection, and His promises. Amen? Amen. We can trust that. We can take that to the bank in the greatest of testings. So we're told that they arrived at the sea, at the shore. This seems like another miracle, I would say. They're, They're rowing. There's the storm. Jesus shows up. And then all of a sudden, the storm is calm and they're at the shore. It's amazing. And then Mark concludes with this last little detail. And we'll kind of close with this and move uh, into the communion portion of our service. In Mark chapter 6, verse 51, it says, Then when he went up to the boat, the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. That's fascinating. This is going back to the feeding of the 5,000. One commentator says, Due to their spiritual dullness, the disciples had missed the true significance of the earlier display of divine creative power. But safe on the shore in the presence of their almighty Savior, they were convinced of his deity, and they fell on their knees in adoration and praise. Now they got it. The bread didn't do it for them. The the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, we're told somehow their hearts were still hard and, and they were still dull. They didn't get it. But now, having been taken through this severe test and Jesus proving His faithfulness yet again, now they, they marvel. They worship. They praise Him. They glorify Him. Amen? Amen? Are you convinced that Jesus is the Almighty Savior? Are you convinced that He can be trusted? Yes. Amen, because He can be. Are you convinced that in the most deepest, darkest scariest, frustrating, and uncertain of times, He's faithful. He's good. His promises are yes and amen, and He's for you, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen, because it's true. It's true. So I want to know if there's anyone in here that has not trusted Jesus to this moment. You have not put your trust in Jesus. You have not asked for God to forgive you of your sins and to be born again. This is the opportunity. So I want to ask that everybody would just close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are faithful, that indeed you are good, that you do care, you are kind. You're for us. You're with us. You never let us go. You never let us down. You never fail us. You can do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. You can make a way when there does not appear to be any possible human way. And you can be trusted in the scariest and most uncertain and frustrating of times. Praise you for that, Lord. Praise you. And I just pray while all the heads are down and the eyes are closed, if there's anybody in here today, you want to follow Jesus. You want to trust in what God has done for you, the gift of God in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you. Your sins were there on on that tree, paid for in full. And that He rose again from the grave. And that you want to follow Him. You want God's gift for your life personally. You've never never asked Jesus before to be your Savior and Lord, but you want to now. I want to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. you say, I know the Lord is calling me. The fact that you're in here right now is the, the evidence that He's calling you. He's being so very kind and gracious to you right now. Do not pass this moment by. I want to encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. Just raise your hand. I want to follow Jesus. Okay. Lord, we love you very much. We thank you that you are faithful. And I thank you for this time now that we're about to enter into the Lord's table. And I pray that you would be glorified in this. Amen. So we know that Jesus... He did indeed demonstrate His great love for us. He died there on Calvary's tree. He laid down His life, poured out His life, shed His blood there on the cross, took the wrath of God for us. And the night before He did this, sitting there at the table with the disciples, eating the Passover meal, He passed the bread around. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. He passed the cup around. He said, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant, which was shed for you. Take and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant. And so the promise of God, the blessing of God, the salvation of God that is for you and I through Jesus Christ, that is what we are remembering. We are remembering Jesus' body broken for us, And His blood poured out. Isaiah 53 talked about that. It prophesied that the coming one of God, by His wounds we would be healed. By His stripes we would be healed. The iniquity of us all would be laid upon Him. And He would bear it gladly. For the joy set before Him, despising the shame. He would endure the agonies of the cross for us. And so we come to the table remembering the good gift of God. The love of Jesus, that He paid such a price for us, and that through that sacrifice, our sins, which are many, are forgiven. Past, present, and future, forever. And we can celebrate. Amen? We can rejoice in His presence. The pathway, the door has been opened to God. And now we are children of God. And now all of God's promises are applied to us. And we can really say that we know that Jesus is faithful and that he's with us and that he's for us. Even in our deepest testings, we know he's working all things together for good. And so I want to encourage us today as we come up and we get these, these elements and that we would just be in a place of prayer, in a place of worship, in a place of celebration and gratitude. Remembering what Jesus has accomplished for us at the cross, the new life that we now have in him. His body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And let's, if you got, if we got sin in our lives, let's confess it. If there's something that needs to go, let's repent of it. Let's, get, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We want to be obedient to your command. When you said that as often as we do this, we do this in remembrance of you. And the apostle Paul said that. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. Jesus, thank You that You gave us this ordinance as a way in which we would continually remember the great price that was paid for us. And we do remember that today, and we thank You for it all over again. God, we give You praise. Jesus, we give You glory and honor. For You indeed were crushed for our sins. Your blood was poured out there for us. And our sins have been washed away forever, removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And we thank you for that and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.